Sometimes it's worth going to war for love. Did you know that? And it's all fair, you know, love and war. That's, people say that. This is Jesus on earth. He is engaging the enemy, and he's doing it on your and my account. He is taking on these forces that we may not even think about and changing the structure of things so that he might include us in his family, love us in greater ways than ever before. And it is, it's remarkable to look at this. We have it in Scripture, but you may not have seen it. And so with the, we started last week, but with these three Sundays, we will look at what Jesus is doing and why I'm calling this Christ Crushed It. Because this is a, it really is incredible what he, is, what he has done. So here's the announcement. And we're going to look at Matthew 16, 18. This is, uh, Jesus is into his ministry quite a while. He has his disciples with him. And he has taken them in, into the northern parts of Israel, north of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and he has gone to Caesarea Philippi. And that's where this is going to be announced. And Matthew sixteen eighteen, he says, I, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And depending on what you've heard, whatever background you've had, these words will impact the view of the church, what Jesus is doing, what his purposes are, and what we're to do about it. So how do we wrap our heads around something like this? I've provided you with an image of Caesarea Philippi, uh, reconstructed. This wasn't actual, actually taken 2,000 years ago, so calm down. But the remnants are there, and this is just to give us an idea of what things look like so it's a place of worship and it is a place of worship for pan it's called panius or banius sometimes and it's a huge grotto that the depth of which back in ancient times they said would drop these ropes and tie weights on them and try to measure how deep it was and it was just this enormous water uh, source that was coming out of the ground it, it runs into Sea of Galilee and Jordan River and down to the Dead Sea but it's it's coming out of this hole beneath this giant rock so there's this hole that goes in there that's worshiping Pan and and it's just at the base of or off to the side of Mount Hermon which was named for Hermes and there's a whole Things we'll get into that in just a minute, but this this rock is the place he announces this. He's talking about the hole where these gates are, and you can see the worship centers that go into the rock. And Hades is the place of the dead. Hades is also a uh, in in the Greek uh, thinking a god of the dead. So we've got. Hades as the place of the dead, the holding place of the dead. Sheol in Hebrew, 
Hades in Greek. We've got a God who's worshipped as being part of this whole structure. And when you're looking at that, you go, well, there's a huge rock. There's a huge hole that leads down into the depths, which represents death and the powers of death, which the enemy, the dark one, and the powers that be have used to hold people captive for centuries. So the fear of death, the idea that death is a stranglehold on humanity is all part of this. And Jesus announces, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to do something amazing here. I'm going to build my church. And the church is the called out one. It's the ecclesia. It's the the word for bringing all of his people together, his family together. So he's going to build his church. So if somebody asks you in the future, who builds Christ's church? Because in people's minds, it's typically us. Donors, people who work in the profession, those are the people. You know, the volunteers, that, that's, we build the church. Really, come on, you know. Nobody's seen an angel down here with a hammer, so obviously it's us. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. I will build my church. And he gives us a little clue as to the power of this thing that he's doing. And he says, the gates of Hades, you see that? will not overpower it. So people take that as we're being attacked by the darkness, by the evil powers, by Satan and all the authorities and principalities of darkness that exist, the evil spirits and demons, and they're coming after the church, but the church will stand. Let me ask you, what are gates for? Are those like an offensive weapon? Do they come after you? Because I don't know how many people in this room have been attacked by a gate. They don't come after you. They're for defense. They're for protecting. The, the gates of Hades are the entrance to the place of the dead, to the powers of darkness. He said, they will not stand. We read it backwards. And unfortunately, this has been translated that way. They will not prevail. They will not stand. They cannot stand the power of the church because Jesus, the King of Kings, will build his church. And that church will have such power that the darkness cannot stand against it. Even the place of the dead. Even the powers of the dead, the gods of the dead, will not stand. See that? Upon this rock. What rock? A huge rock he's standing right in front of. There's a grotto. Leads to... Haiti, called the gates of Hades. You ever just read these things and make up in your mind what this means? There it is. He's standing there with his guys going, this is it. We are taking this on. And we will see who wins. Because the enemy knows that the winner is coming. Just knows they have some time. It's convincing people that this is the case. So we have a statement given to Peter. 
His name's Cephas, but Petros is, means a small rock, a pebble. Well, here's a piece of this. Now, it depends on, on your group, but sometimes Peter's the one who's called the rock, so he's obviously, this is all about him. Nope, it's about a rock that was right in front of him. Sometimes it's the faith of Peter, and it's all about him again. Nope. It's all about Jesus who will build his church and overcome the darkness and use his church, which is the calling of all of his believers, all of his family, into this. And Peter is representing this because he's just said that Jesus is the Messiah. That's because that's, he's the Son of God. And Jesus said, you didn't know that on your own. God the Father, my Father, has told you that. That leads to this statement that Jesus makes. As a result of that knowledge of who Jesus is and the recognition of who Jesus is, he said, that's it. That's a piece of the rock. That's a piece. It's not the rock. The rock's there. It's mountainous. No, that's not what we're talking about. But this is going to be a piece of this church that's going to overpower the powers of darkness and bring light to this world. That's what I'm talking about. And I will build my church. And I will invade hell itself. Death will not stand. We got another week till we find out how all that works out. But we'll find out in a week. Matthew 16, 18. Is that different than you've heard? I hope. That's not the end of it. So he's still in chapter 16. Here's the plan. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Just gave him the plan. Where do you go when you get killed? Hades, place of the dead. Huh. And on the third day, it's going to be raised up. There's a heads up. Something's going to happen here. We're going to invade Hades through the gates of Hades and overcome. Because I'm going to build my church. I'm going to accomplish what I came to do. When did Jesus start telling them about this plan? At that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So now we have a time frame. This is the end of the ministry. It's in front of Caesarea Philippi. Mount Hermon is on the highest mountain there. It's snow-capped most of the year, and the waters that come down from there go to the Jordan and to the Sea of Galilee, down to the Dead Sea. And he's standing there in the midst of that location, geographically uh, using all of those elements to explain what is about to, about to happen and letting them know that he will go to Jerusalem, suffer and die and be raised. So Matthew sixteen twenty two. So next verse, God's ways are not the way people think or, or Satan. Peter took him aside. This is the rock, remember. He's got all this great faith. 
Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Uh Uh-huh. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So he likes Jesus. He wants to protect him. He's going, oh, no, that's not going to happen to you. Jesus said, I just told you what the plan is and that we're going to overcome Hades. Nope. I'm going to build my church. Nope. Lord, you know, you just can't, you can't go through there. That, that, we just can't have it. You can't go through hard times and that be God's plan. You can't go to, through tough things and that be God's plan. God forbid it. Not that you have used any of those kind of think, that kind of thinking or words in your life when you hit hard times, but God's ways are not the way people think or Satan. So God's got a plan, which may include even dying, suffering and dying. And Satan knows all I have to do is put fear in them. Let them know they're going to be uncomfortable. And they will spin around on their heels so fast, turn away from God and go a whole different direction. They go, I've got something more for you. Remember when I told you I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Remember that? Not so much. Because in the next words out of Peter's mouth, oh no, Lord, you can't, you can't go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Just no way. He missed the part where he's going to be raised again. That's common among all people. We ought not set our minds on the interest of people, ourselves or others included, but on the interest of God who is looking out for all of us. And he's proving that he's loving us and that his love is sufficient to bring us to this amazing place where the gates of Hades will not stand. They will be overcome. They will be taken down. He's, on, he's working. And you may be thinking, I don't know. I'm not tracking with, oh, just wait a second. Here's the war council. Matthew 17. First part of Matthew 17, verses 1 to 3. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Where's the high mountain? Hermon, it's right there, 9,000 feet. You just climb up there. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses Elijah, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So they've been gone a while. You know, we got we got Moses about fourteen hundred, we got Elijah about nine hundred BC. So you know they've been gone a few centuries, and here they are, recognizable to these guys. They have come from the place of the dead or being 
with God in, in paradise, but they've been brought back to meet with Jesus on Mount Hermon. So we've got this mountain, which we are given information on uh, in another source in, in the first book of Enoch that tells us that that was the meeting place of the rebel angelic forces. They met on this mountain and made their plan to deceive and destroy mankind. So there's a, there, here's the mountaintop where things happened. Here's the meeting place where a council that was opposed to God met. So that's, that's back in the past. Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to take on the gods. And we've already had that earlier. But now he's standing in front of the rock, the grotto to Hades, and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to defeat this, this whole thing. I'm taking it down. Now he meets on the mountaintop where they met earlier. And what does he do? He has a war council. And he's invited Moses and Elijah and three of his disciples to be there, to be part of this, to witness him. Did he just meet up there and like smoke a cigar, peace pipe, or he didn't even have a chart. And he didn't do, he just, he's there in his he reveals himself as the Son of God. You see that? He's transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. Is that because they had a spotlight on him? No. Because he radiated out the light that is in him. He is a divine being. And it's coming out of him. And he has released it. He's been holding back. But now it's there. And he's meeting with these significant, the prophets, Moses, who wrote the law, but also considered a prophet, and Elijah. And we're saying, this is it. This is, this is what we talked about. This is what's coming. This is what God intended. This is where we're headed. And we're ready to take down the forces that be. The war council has met, now on the mountaintop. So what, what does God the Father Think of some kind of a gathering like that. God's affirmation, Matthew 17, 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You've heard those words before. Baptism. He, he's made that kind of confession about Jesus. But this time, he adds, listen to him. Well, there's a new thought. Listen to him. Why? Because it's a war council. We're about to take on the enemy. I've told you I'm going to build my church. The gates of Hades will not stand. I'm going to take on death. I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm telling you all of that. And Peter reacts like, you know, no, Lord, we can't have that kind of stuff going on. And here's God the Father going, This is my Son, my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen! Listen to Him. Don't be making up your own stuff. Don't come up with your own agenda. Don't tell me how to do this. You don't even know the battle we're in. You don't recognize the powers that are out there that we are trying to take down. You just go on about your life, 
checking your tires, making sure your grass is mowed, and missing it. And he says, I will build my church. And I'm going to take on all these powers. And I'm going to take them on because I love you, and I want you to be part of my family. And if I don't do this, they're going to interrupt and try to take you away from me and destroy you because that's what they do. God's affirmation, my son, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So the warrior arrives. This is in the week that we are celebrating, celebrating now on Palm Sunday, this day, 2,000 years ago. We find it in Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 through 9. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's that time. The warrior has arrived. But he's not coming to take his seat politically as the son of David at this time. He's not coming to run the Romans out of town at this time. He's coming in to take on a whole lot bigger enemy than they can imagine. Guess what? That's what he does in your life. Those enemies you think are the biggest thing you could possibly be facing, and he's saying, that's not your enemy. That's not the big enemy. I'm coming to take on the big enemy. Listen. Listen to me. But which way do we go? Lord, you just don't understand how painful and tough and struggles I have. Yeah, he does. But he knows there's a bigger one, more serious one, more lasting one. And he's offering help, which is what he's doing with them when he shows up in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, Hosanna, save us. Son of David, who is the king, the political king who would take over. Now what they did say that was on, on the mark is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, blessed, yeah, praise him. He's come. He's going to do something amazing here. So let's see if there are any entities, uh, evil entities involved in this process as Jesus goes through the week. And we have a number of things that unfold and a whole lot of the messages that Jesus shares, a lot that are included in the Gospels, are in this section. I mean, this, this is this week, and they're taught during this week, and it's highly intense, that things that are unfolding. So in the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, starting with chapter 13, 12, is, he's having the, the Last Supper, and by 13, he's teaching. So we got chapters that fit into this week, this, is, this holy week just to give you a clue. So he's coming to, coming to the city, and let's see what happens. Here's the plot to kill Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 1 through 4. 
When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, okay, we got two things going on. He's explaining one thing. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. Now, just, just a quick review. This is a high priest, so he probably knows the Ten Commandments. Isn't there one about not murdering people? Because that seemed like that would be one of the big ones. And yet that's their plan. They, they've plotted together. The, the big leader folks have gathered together at the high priest's house to plot this. So we've got uh, human beings high up in the religious order, the highest, and their plan is to get rid of Jesus because he makes them uncomfortable. And he's getting people are starting to listen to him. They, they don't want that. Well, let's see what else happens. Here's evil forces at work. This is from John 13. When Judas had eaten the bread, so they're sitting around having their Passover meal. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told them, hurry and do what you're going to do. So Judas is sitting there, eats the bread, at the meal, and then Satan plays a part in this. So do we have Satan back at the announcement, I will build my church, but then when Jesus explains, but I have to go to Jerusalem, suffer and die, and then I'll be raised. And Peter's going, no way, Lord, we can't have that, forbid it. And he calls him, calls him out, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Jesus is identifying the evil that's whispering in the ears of these people. And so here's another. Here's Judas. Satan enters into him. He's already moved him uh, earlier, but now we have this at, at this important juncture at the, at the meal. And this is the night that Jesus is arrested and Judas comes back. So just down a little further in John 13, as soon as, this is God's glory and love, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. So this is, this is part of this whole process. He's going to uh, honor God. God is glorified by his suffering and death, by him going through some tough times. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Judas isn't included in that because he left, remember? So Jesus, Judas left the room, and then Jesus is making it clear. Judas is listening to Satan. Satan has, has entered into him, and he's gone to go meet with the chief priest, and they will begin the process of setting him up to be uh, taken to the Romans and then put to death. So the process has started. So is that a totally human idea to get rid of Jesus, just religious people upset? Were there other entities involved in this process who Jesus really 
antagonized by saying things like, yeah, we're going to take this on. We're going to kick in the gates of Hades. We're going we're to overwhelm them. And then he meets with Moses and Elijah on the mountain and spits in the face of all of them, all of the rebels. And says, bring it. Bring your worst. Well, they're about to. And so Satan is involved. And Satan is moving these things. And in the course of all of that, Jesus' words I find amazing. Because if you're about ready to suffer, I mean, even if you're just going to go in for a surgery, how panicked do you get? Oh my gosh, it's like next month, and they're going to open me up, or they're going to cut, cut into some, they're going to remove some. It's going to be horrible. And then there's recovery, and oh my gosh, the end of the world has come. So, Jesus, thinking about all of that's about to come, and he knows what's about to come, says, love each other, just as I've loved you. Just like we do when we're threatened by something horrible. Just love each other. Like I loved you. That's the highest level. There is no bar higher higher than this one. Because he's taking on everyone. Everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Everyone. Every enemy. Every enemy we have. And he says, love one another. Crushing the enemy. Colossians 2, 14 to 15. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross in this way. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Who's going to win this battle? Jesus. He's already seen past the resurrection. He knows what's going to be accomplished. He knows what needs to happen. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What they did was they, they would list, if you're a thief, a murderer, whatever it was that you were on the cross for, they would list those things. And the case of Jesus, they put a little sign up above, you know, he's king of the Jews, and you go, that doesn't sound like a really bad thing, but, you know, you can't do that when Rome is in charge and the high priest wants to run things, and it just ticks people off. So he's he's got to go. So that that's... What about this? Well, these are the charges that Jesus takes. All the sins, everything that you or I have ever done that has transgressed God's perfect plan, everything that we have said, every attitude, behavior, action that we've taken or not taken, every charge laid against us is listed That's the image here. Nailed to the cross. And Jesus pays for it all. That's what's happening. 
And it matters, for, matters to me, matters to you, that Jesus has taken that. But for those spiritual entities, do you know that they are regularly pointing out your failures? If you're doing pretty good one day and then all of a sudden these regrets start flashing through your mind, you wake up feeling this horrible heaviness and you don't know where that came from and all these memories come back. They go, I, I, you know, I apologize to that person. I fixed that. I talked to God about it. I'm trying to move in this other direction and it's still there. Guess who just brought that up? Not your friend. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Unless it's unconfessed and you're still hanging in there with whatever it is. But in the case where those things are confessed, you dealt with them and you're moving forward and they should be in the past and they have come back to haunt you. Guess who brings them up? The accuser of the brethren, the enemy, the dark forces. They share that information so that the evil spirits know them, know what's going on. You know, unless we're pretty high level in the spiritual world, you know, Satan's not really going to be involved in this. And he's not everywhere present. He's not God. He, he just, he's a bother. But we've got other entities that are out there, and they like to bring these things up. Guess what? In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. Of what? They can't use the record of charges against us. They're done. We can't bring those up. Jesus paid for them. Unless we let them, unless we deny Jesus his rightful place to have taken them away on the cross, and we resurrect them and feel, oh, it's my regret, my, my horrible attitude, the way I said that, the things I've done, and he says, I forgave you. No, you must not. I, my stuff is too bad. So we know better than he does. And we think his blood is insufficient to have covered it. So we need to bring it back up and feel bad. Ever had those weird thoughts? Need to resurrect it and feel bad. He paid for it. He bled for it. He suffered for it. He died for it. It's gone. And he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. So if those thoughts come to mind, just tell them to back off because Jesus has paid the price. It's gone. It's gone. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Well, who was there to know that publicly? He's got a handful of believers. Most of them have bailed. There's some people out there ridiculing the Romans sticking sword in his side. Who? knows that these enemies of Jesus are even there. You're familiar with the host of heaven, right? The angels who are all around watching this, just as the evil ones are all around watching. They all know who he is, and they know he's on the cross. One side wants him dead and gone, and the other side says, just wait, just watch this. And they were shamed publicly. Not that anybody standing on the ground knew it, but everybody in the air around knew it. You are loved. Romans 8, 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
Now, Paul's writing this in the first century, so it's a little more current. We're down the road a piece, but he sent him to die for us. We're sinners. We, we've gone our own way. Not listened to him often enough. So God shows his great love by sending Christ to die on the cross. That's love. And you go, well, it's just a nice trinket to wear around my neck or hang on my wall or you know the cross symbolizes some some nice niceties of some sort no it's god's great love he overcame the junk in our lives the sin in our lives the darkness that exists in us and he took on the enemies who would destroy us who we don't even recognize most of the time so that we can have a life that is fulfilled in a way we may not even understand yet you're loved so rejoice. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the power below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Now look at those words again. No power in the sky above. Who's there? Prince of the power of the air, principalities and powers, authorities, not flesh and blood. Who are the powers in the air? They don't have power over you now. Who's in the earth below? Where are the gates that were being kicked in? Death. Place of the dead. Hades. Hmm. Now let's read it again. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Now you got it? Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai. Let's pray. Our Lord, indeed we do rejoice. There is nothing like what you have done. You have won these victories for us on our behalf. <sighs> Though we often deny you and ignore you and don't listen to you, you love us so much you did it anyway thank you for the victory that you won that you are continuing to win and one day this will all be fulfilled absolutely fulfilled thank you for the enemy defeated thank you for the hope that we have in you thank you for your great love love not just spoken but demonstrated and we are so blessed so blessed in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus, we pray.